And how do we keep our balance? That I can tell you in one word. Tradition! of our traditions we've kept our balance for many many years here in Anatevka we have traditions for everything how to sleep how to eat how to work how to wear clothes for instance, we always keep our heads covered and always wear a little prayer shawl. This shows our constant devotion to God. You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, Every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Always hard to follow a movie that is so good and everyone likes and show a minute of it and then you have to hear me. But, but that's tradition. Thank you, Chris. So are traditions good or bad? <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar with Fiddler on the Roof. It's a, a favorite musical of mine. And just the, that, that's part of the introduction, actually, to the, the movie version of it, is the whole movie is about what, what's the role of traditions? Are they good or are they bad? Are they, are they helpful and nourishing or are they toxic and poisonous? And the father, Tevye, is, is balancing that and trying to deal with that throughout the rest of the story and, and um, as different things happen. Two weeks ago, we started talking about traditions. And as I said, it, it's, it's something that for me is more just let's get together and talk. If I could have everyone, like I said two weeks ago, in my living room and we just sit around and talk about this subject, that would be great. But hey, it's tradition that we're here and tradition that we're, we're standing up here. And, um, but are traditions helpful or not helpful? The question I asked two weeks ago. Yes. <laughs> a lot of you are just saying yes, or it depends. And that's the right answer, because it does depend. They can be either one. And, and sometimes we say, well, it's not one or the other. Well, no, it is one or the other. And it depends on the tradition, and it depends on our approach to the tradition. But the same tradition could be either one, depending on how we, how we come to it. When we talked before, we looked at some things about traditions and I tried to give sort of a foundation to understand traditions and, and how our spiritual traditions are formed. And they're usually formed with something that's helpful to us, something that 
is our way of applying scriptural truth and biblical truth. The definitions that I gave that I think I put in your notes this week, just written out so you don't have to fill in blanks. A spiritual tradition is a form or activity designed by man to apply God's truth to a particular time, people, and situation. Or another way of thinking of it is people's way of applying biblical principles to daily lives. And we looked at a variety of reasons we hold so tightly to to traditions. Four that are very healthy and good reasons to hold to traditions. And four that are actually damaging reasons if those are the only reasons we hold to, to, to tradition. And all of that was a foundation to look at these three incidents that that Mark records in the life of Jesus. And I, I wanted to give that foundation because if we just took these three stories of Jesus, we could easily, and I've heard people do this, we could easily come away and say, all tradition is evil. But that isn't what Jesus was doing. And when we, when we look at the life of Christ, we need to look at all of Jesus' teaching. We need to look at all of instruction from Scripture. In these three cases, he is attacking some spiritual traditions that were, were run amok. But also we know that he himself practiced a number of the traditions and a number of the um, things that were prescribed. And so how do we balance this? When I, when I told the story of, of my knife two weeks ago, that, that was something that I, I bring up again because a knife, as you're cutting fish, it can be a valuable tool. In fact, it's very hard to clean fish without a knife. But when it cuts your, your finger off or open, then it's now suddenly not a helpful tool anymore. And so the very same tool used in two different ways is either helpful or harmful. Turn with me to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, and we're going to finish up the passage about fasting and then look at two passages about the Sabbath. Mark chapter 2, verse 21. And in part 1, we said four things about traditions. Spiritual traditions do not make you spiritually mature. Be careful not to elevate man-made traditions to God's commands. It's so easy to do. Traditions must not lose sight of the biblical truth they were based on. They are really only as effective as we can bring them back to the truth of Scripture, not the truth of the tradition. And four, healthy traditions bring us back to the joy of being in Christ rather than drudgery. Traditions are, are designed to, to bring us into relationship with Christ, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more this morning. And when we said that, we weren't saying it was easy. We weren't saying that it was always happy. And we weren't saying that we always wanted to follow spiritual disciplines and what God wanted. But that there's a joy in relationship. Let's read verses 21 and 22 and move on with some other thoughts about traditions. How do we know whether they're nourishing or poisonous? How do we make sure that we're on the right track with the ways we apply biblical truths? In verse 21, Jesus is, is still addressing the issue of fasting and, and He just said specifically, why would you fast when the bridegroom's here? That makes no sense. I'm here. And now in these two verses, He moves to the general, to a broader principle that He's trying to teach. In verse 21, No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. 
If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. And we may say, wow, he suddenly moves to teaching about sowing and making wine. But he's using two illustrations here to help us understand the principle that he's trying to teach with traditions. The first is sowing. Any of you ladies sow? A number of you sow. My wife does. I do not. So I've heard this illustration is true. I haven't experienced it. But my wife tells me that when, you, when you're sewing a patch on something, if you take a new piece of cloth that hasn't been washed yet or hasn't been shrunk yet and just sew it on, that literally the next time you wash it, that piece of cloth shrinks. And because the rest of the material around it is old and weak, it will it'll tear the other material. Not tear the seam that she put in, but it actually tears the other material. And so instead of a hole that you're patching like this, you get a hole like this. Is that true for some of the ladies that sew? Hi, Jen. Good to see you. Um, I know you sew. So. And so Jesus is talking about that the, the new may be stronger, but if we, if we try to just put the new on the old and, and patch it in together, then it just tears it and neither is any good anymore. The same is true with the wineskins. When they would make wine, they would take some animal skins and, and have a, a, a pouch for the wine or a container for the wine, and when the skins were, were new, they were still flexible and they had some elasticity. And when you put the wine in there or the, the grape juice that was about to ferment, as it fermented, it let off gas. And that gas would cause the wine, <laughs> would cause the wine skin to expand. And the, the wine skin had to be flexible, otherwise it would just burst. Once a skin expanded though, then it hardened in that, in that way and it couldn't expand anymore. So if you took a wineskin that had already been used and they had finished all the wine out of it and, and it was up there and they're like, hey, let's save some money. Let's just reuse that container. And they bring that down and put fresh wine in it. Jesus is saying, well, what happens? And he's using examples from their common life that they would all understand. You put the wine in it, as it fermented, it would actually burst the skin and both the wineskin and the wine would be ruined. So that's the illustrations that Jesus is using here that they would understand. And the, the point that he's making is that the traditions are not permanent. Traditions are not permanent. And for him, he's specifically talking that he and his person is coming and he's not coming just to patch up the, the Mosaic Law. He's not coming just to sort of fix a couple things. He is bringing a completely new work of Christ, of God, through Himself that fulfills the Mosaic Law. There's a huge difference. And so He fulfills it and He meets the requirements and He brings something new into our lives. And this is His answer to why don't you fast? Why don't you do the same spiritual practices that we do? Why don't your disciples do this? And the old forms of Judaism are not compatible with the new kingdom. Because now there's no need for animal sacrifices. The ultimate sacrifice has been made. All of the things that the Mosaic Law is pointing toward are fulfilled, and so things change with that fulfillment. But the broader principle 
that he's making is, is really quite valuable for us. Do we realize that as God does new works, that sometimes he might do that in some new ways? And let, let, me, let me caution where we go with this, because some of you are like, yeah, preach it, and some of you have the hairs on the back of your neck coming up already. The, the issue here is, and, and if we think of how do we apply this, we need to find the meaning of a tradition and apply the meaning in a proper means of expression. And so when, when Tevia was asked, well, why do you do that? Or when, when he was trying to answer why, I don't know. But, but we do. Now, now, for him, I actually would say that he probably knew the meaning because he was able to come back to, to relationship with God and what that meant with God. And he didn't necessarily need to know how it started. But when we evaluate anything that we do, any rules that we put spiritually, any ministries we have here at Village, any things we do in the house, we need to constantly be aware that things might change. Not the biblical truth, but the application of that biblical truth. Let me give an example. In our home, we, we try to have some Bible time with our kids, and I know many of you do that, and we, we try to discuss, okay, how do we do this in different ways? Will I be able to, in five years, do Bible time the same way I'm doing it now? No. My, my kids would, I don't know what they would do. They'd be like, Dad, don't you know I'm 11 now? That's like three-year-old stuff. But So my tradition, our tradition of how we apply the biblical truth of being a spiritual head of the home, of bringing, bringing biblical teaching into the home, that remains the same. How I go about doing it must change as my family grows. It changed when we went from Mark to having three. And as they get older, it'll be different books and, and even maybe even a different time of the day. I know, that's, that's like really pushing it. And so the challenge here is, do we get into ruts where we're like it's going to be the same old cloth, the same old wineskin, and Jesus is saying, it's not about that, it's about what I want to do, it's about the, the, the new work that I want to do. Now, now here's part of the caution. This does not mean that we change things just to change things. The application is to find the meaning and the best way to apply that meaning. The best way might still be the same. And so it's not just that we have to change for change's sake, but that we need to understand and be intentional about why we do what we do. Think about ministries at Village. What if we, we still had a ministry that had been around for, for 50 years since the beginning of the church, and that ministry was how to help people build a new house in Garden Grove. Okay, I know it's sort of a silly idea for a ministry, but I don't know, maybe 50 years ago when the community was new and forming, they needed to do that. Would that ministry still be applicable today? No, I don't know of any of you that are building a house in Garden Grove. But, but maybe the principles of, of if it's all, con, it's all fictitious, but the principle of, okay, we're going to help young families get on their feet and physically help meet each other's needs as a body, that is still a biblical truth. We might do that in a different way today. You know, some have suggested, what if we ever did a, a work day at someone's house where five or ten men got together and said, here, let us come over and just fix the things that need to be fixing at your house. 
Now that is a new tradition, a new ministry, a new way of doing things that still follows the biblical truth. And that, I believe, is how we can begin to apply this principle that Jesus is teaching. See, traditions need to adapt and change according to the work of God, according to the need. If it's no longer facilitating ministry, if it's no longer facilitating God's work here, we need to get rid of it. In our homes, if, if, if we're no longer able to train our family with this tradition, then let's find something else that does it. But if what we're doing is working, don't just throw it away. So, so yeah, I'm walking on both sides here. But that's what we're supposed to do if we're to be intentional and understand why we have the traditions we have and be willing to adjust them when it's needed. See, the longer we do something, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, the longer we do something, the more we can get into ruts with that. The more we can get into, well, this is just what we do. The statement of, well, we've never done it that way before. When we, you know, switch worship in the sermon next week. No, just kidding. <laughs> well, we've never done it that way before. You can't do it that way. And we have to be careful of things like that because those things are not biblical truth. Those are simply applications of biblical truth. But in ruts, we can get into such ruts that we lose sight of the direction that we're going. I remember when I first got, um, when I bought my first car just out of college, and I went on a trip up with a friend of mine to Reading, and we took a uh, day, day drive into Shasta Mountain area, and there was snow all around, and, and it was front-wheel drive, and I'd never had a front-wheel drive before, and I thought I was just awesome that I could drive on snow and go wherever I wanted, and, and we're on this road that's covered with snow, and there's these ruts in the ground from all the cars that had gone before. And we're like, this is cool. It's, it's, it makes it easier to drive, which it did. And so my friend said, you know what? I bet you don't even have to steer anymore. <laughs> I don't think I do. That's a great idea. I'd never driven in snow much before. So those of you from snow country, you're like, oh, you're, that's bad. So I took my hands off the wheel. I'm like, let's see what happens. And within three seconds, we had spun and we're facing the way we were coming. And I praise God that that's all that happened because we had six-foot walls of snow on either side. And somehow we spun and didn't hit either side and we're looking back down the road. I'm shaking. Look at my friend. Like, I don't think that was a good idea. But that's what we can have when we get into spiritual traditions and rules and, and our, our way of applying spiritual truths. We can get so used to it that we take our hands off the wheel and we stop being intentional. And we let the ruts steer us instead of the road and the steering wheel. Whereas the ruts are just to help. And so Jesus says, No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts, into, puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. 
It's interesting that the early church didn't always get this right either. In some of the teaching of the early church, the Didache, they were talking about, okay, we don't want to be like the Pharisees on the fasting issue. They fasted Monday and Thursday, and, and Jesus spoke out against that and said that it had become just ritual and they forgot what they, they were doing. And so they wrote this, Let not your fast be with the hypocrites, for they fast on Monday and Thursday, but do your fast on Wednesday and Friday. And they missed it. In trying to be different, they, they, they needed to go back, and, and maybe further in the writing they do, but they needed to go back to the intention. Why do we do this? Why do we do this? Is there a better way to practice the same meaning? Maybe, maybe not. But it's the question we need to ask. We move on to verse 23. And in verses 23 through 28, we see the next story where Jesus confronts their application of the Sabbath. Jesus confronts how they applied the Sabbath rules, and he's moving from fasting to the Sabbath. And so let's read from verses 23 through 28. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And they, they would pluck it and, and roll it in their hands so they had something to, to snack on. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of presence, which is not lawful for any but the high priest to eat, but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him? And then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And in this incident and in the next incident, Jesus begins to confront another way that the Pharisees had taken ceremonial, ritual, and and religious rules and had lost sight of what Jesus and what God intended with His instructions on the Sabbath. And so here and in the next story, it really looks like Jesus openly violates the Sabbath. At least their interpretation of the Sabbath. Because it's something he, he wanted to address and that needed to be addressed. But the first thing we see in verses 23 and 24 there is bloated traditions can overshadow biblical truth. Bloated traditions can overshadow biblical truth. We need to be careful not to let spiritual traditions outgrow and overpower the spiritual truth that they're based on. This is similar to one we talked about a couple weeks ago. But, but understand what's going on here. The Pharisees are, are following Jesus, trying to catch He and His disciples in anything they can. They're walking through a field. They're hungry. And so His disciples grab some, some grain and, and start to snack. And the Pharisees are incensed. We have to understand what, what had happened now is in, in the Old Testament, in the Ten Commandments and other instructions, we have instructions to keep the Sabbath, to, to honor the Sabbath, to keep it holy or set apart for God, to keep it sacred. And in, in an effort to obey that and, and not wanting to come in any way uh, up against that, the, the early spiritual leaders said, let's do everything we can to not even come close to that sin which I think was the right right idea. That, that's Again, traditions usually start with some good principles. 
And so that's how it started, but then they started adding rule after rule after rule. And at this point, there were already 39 rules of what you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath. Pulling ears of corn was reaping and was one of the 39 prohibited activities. Walking beyond a certain distance was prohibited, but you could walk within the city walls. And so what the the Pharisees would sometimes do to get around that is they have records that at times they would take string and extend the city walls. Because you could put it to a tree and you could put it to a post, and then they would call that the city wall, and now we could walk further. And do you, so do you see what's happened with all the rules about the Sabbath? That they've, they've lost sight of what God intended with the, with the command, and in an effort to, to obey, it has become so bloated that it's a burden. Some other, there was laws about limits of what may or may not be carried. They had laws, and we'll get into that in the next story, of, of who you could and couldn't help. You couldn't extract edible content from something not already set aside for the Sabbath. And so the issue here wasn't that they were going through someone else's field and plucking some grain. That actually was allowed in Levitical law, that, that as long as you weren't reaping, if you were just taking some personal, you could. The issue for the Pharisees were, you're violating our rules of what it means to honor the Sabbath. And for them, this wasn't a minor rule. This wasn't a minor tradition. This was major. This was, this was one of the biggies. Remember, Israel and Judah were brought into captivity. Do you remember one of the reasons for that, that God gave? They didn't follow the Sabbath, the Sabbath years. And if you look at how long they're in captivity, there's, a, there's an intentional um, discipline by God for that. And, and they're very aware of this. And, and in their mindset was, if we, if we get everyone to follow the Sabbath, again, the Messiah might come sooner. And so we have all these rules. We are not going to accidentally break this law. And I've got to say, if that was their reason, I appreciate that. But they lost track of even that as their reason. And so now they just have 39 laws that you must follow or you're sinning. And they had forgotten Christ's commands. One of the other laws that they were probably upset about is that Jesus and his disciples were traveling on the Sabbath. They were going through the fields somewhere. And that would have been a violation Several of the authors commented, so why weren't the Pharisees in violation for traveling too and following him and trying to catch him? It's <laughs> a good point. And they were, but they, they forgot about that because what Jesus was doing was so scandalous. And we see an example in the Pharisees of when a good tradition can become bloated and can overcome biblical truth. See, the command is out of Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is in your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And that's the command that God gave. And if you look at the wording of that, the word for work there and the prohibition is from your normal labor, your vocational labor. And he's saying you need to take a break from what you do to earn a living. That's the instruction here. 
And this was actually an instruction of grace because remember the curse in Genesis chapter 3? Curse to Adam was what? You have to work hard. You have to work hard. And so this instruction was, was saying, you know what? You're going to have to work hard, but don't work seven days. Take a break. And as we look through the Old Testament and in Jesus' instruction here, it was always to take a break for a reason. It was never to take a break just because I want a break. It was always for a specific purpose, to make it holy, to do God's work, to assemble together, to meet together. Those were all the things that the Bible prescribes should happen on this day. If it's just because I like football and I need some rest, that is not observing the Sabbath either. Sorry, it's not football season. I can get away with that, right? And baseball's in the afternoon. Because it was always for something. And, and again, we don't want the, the, to lose sight of the reason to, to keep our traditions. And the Pharisees were struggling with that. The question we can ask on this is, has the tradition become a burden? Has the tradition become a burden? If it's an excessive burden, and that doesn't mean it's not hard. If I have a tradition to read God's Word every day, that, you could call that a burden, but in a different way from if my tradition is I have to, to read the Bible ten hours every day. And the Pharisees had crossed that line and had created a, ver- a burden that was impossible to follow. Reading on to some of Jesus' answers, starting at verse 25. And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him. And he's referring to 1 Samuel, a story of what happened there. How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And the bread of presence, sometimes called the showbread, was, was the bread that the priest would put out in in the tabernacle, and they had 12 loaves of bread, and this was considered holy bread. And every Sabbath, the old bread was taken away, and new bread was put there, and the bread that was taken away was lawful for the priests to eat, for those that were working there. And David comes, and, and he's on the run, and he has men with him, and they're hungry, and they don't have anything, and they come, and they, they enter in, and they, they say, give me some bread. And the priest there, he made sure that they were clean by Jewish standards and said, okay, I will give you bread because your need is that important. And I struggle with that passage sometimes because I'm like, okay, wait a minute, he broke the rules. He broke the rules, and that's not just a tradition that someone made up. Those are the rules that that the Old Testament says this is what you should do. And Jesus here is bringing in a different concept, and, and Jesus can do that, we cannot. Jesus is bringing in a concept of saying those were ceremonial laws that were designed to to help people. And those ceremonial laws take second place to the needs of the people they're helping. And I say that with fear and trembling because that that can be taken in so many ways that are not healthy. But if we understand what Jesus is teaching... We can understand that people are more important than traditions. 
people are more important than traditions. Spiritual traditions should meet people's real needs. Their spiritual needs. When we start ignoring people's needs because we have a tradition that's designed to help them, that's a problem. Now understand, that does not mean that we can say, oh, I'm going to ignore every rule of Christ, every law in the Bible, because I'm going to meet a need. Jesus was allowed to redefine this. And that's where where the story goes on. That's where the setting goes on. Because he says to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And he's trying to help them understand that God gave the Sabbath to bless man, to show them grace, to show them mercy, not to put them into bondage, which the Pharisees had done. So the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, as the human Messiah, the human God-man, is Lord even of the Sabbath. And right there is where we see Jesus' authority to redefine ceremonial law and tradition. We need to keep moving. There's a lot more we could dig into there. But if we, if we begin to think of how to apply this, think about a church level and everything we do. The question we should ask is, is this meeting needs? Is this meeting needs? Now the first question, and we've already covered that, is, is this biblical truth? Is this an application of biblical truth? Does it honor God's word? But Assuming that those steps that we've already talked about are true, the next question is, does this meet a spiritual need? Is this meeting needs of someone other than myself? Because isn't it true that we can come to church and we can, we can, we can be pretty critical. We can say, well, they should do it that way. Or that should be done this way. Or this, this should be offered here and this should happen. And, and many times we're basing those off of our own needs. Now, some of that information might be good information, but it's, it's how we internalize that and how we share that. But if it's, if it's all about, well, what are my needs being met? Are my needs being met? Then we're missing the point that, that all of Christ's instruction was for the church and how to meet each other's needs. There may be something we do at Village that meets none of my needs meets none of my needs. That doesn't mean it's the wrong thing to do. Because the question is, doesn't, it isn't does it meet my needs, is does it meet the needs of the body? And if it meets the needs of the body, then I should be there and I should be participating and I should be praising God that we are building and growing as a body. Traditions are a great servant, but a toxic master. And Jesus here brings them back from their own history to one of their heroes and says, okay, so it was okay. It was okay to, to meet David and his men's need, but it's not okay to meet mine and my disciples. And he uses it as, a, as an opportunity to proclaim himself as the next David, the Messiah, the Son of Man. The last verse, and I'll just say this point briefly, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. 
Point number eight there, traditions are only helpful when they point to and bow to Jesus. Traditions are only helpful when they point to and bow to Jesus. See, the the point here is that Jesus is over all traditions. Traditions don't replace Him. Traditions never replace a relationship with Christ. Our walk is more important. And so as I I practice my my Christianity in the home and, and pass on my faith to my children... The traditions, one of the questions is, how does this show the character of Christ? How does this show the holiness of God? How does it show His mercy, His love, His righteousness? In Colossians 2, verse 16, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. And Paul here is arguing actually for even lessening the traditions of the Sabbath and that it's not something to argue about and we can apply it different ways. And his point in verse 17 is these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And we can get caught up in all the trappings of of Christianity and forget that Christianity starts and ends with Christ. And he is the central point. And the trappings are but a shadow that should point to Christ. Finally, the last two points briefly in the next passage in verses 1-6. through six, Jesus confronts their heart on the, in the Sabbath. Jesus confronts their heart in the Sabbath. Again, he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand. Many probably couldn't work, couldn't be a productive part of society. And they watched Jesus. Catch that language. They watched Him because they see the man. They know Jesus. They know His heart for people. And they're thinking, He's going to help him. He's going to heal that man. We got him. We got him again. So they watched Jesus to see whether He would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse Him. Get the picture of what's happening here? And he said to the man, Jesus said to the man with the withered hand, come here. Now, does Jesus know that they're there watching? Of course he does. We've already seen that with the paralytic and the other stories. So Jesus here is intentional to heal this man in front of the Pharisees and confront their hypocrisy. And he said to the man with the withered man, come here. And he said to them, the Pharisees, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good? or to do harm, to save a life or to kill. So before he does anything, he turns it back on them, as, as Jesus usually did. And he said, so, so what is lawful here? Is it lawful to do good? Is that part of what God has instructed us to do? And they know in their minds that if someone is near death, they can help them. If an animal goes in a, a, a ditch, they can help. And so they know that there are certain levels of what they can help. So the issue isn't whether or not you can do good on the Sabbath. The issue that the Pharisees have made it is how much good can you do on the Sabbath. And Jesus is pointing that out as hypocrisy. And so he asks it as a general question and says, okay, should we do good or should we kill? You choose. And did you catch their response or lack thereof? 
But they were silent. But they were silent. They had no answer, and they were caught. See, Jesus was coming back to the purpose of the Sabbath. It was not a self-centered purpose. It was always to do God's work, to help others, to be sacred. In fact, in Isaiah, God writes that his condemnation on the people is that they made the Sabbath profane or secular or ordinary, that they didn't do God's work on the Sabbath. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. See, the Pharisees were there watching. Their question wasn't, could he heal the man? Did you catch the wording there as well? They knew he could. The question was, would he? On the Sabbath. And Jesus confronts their heart. And point number nine there about traditions. Does this tradition help me show God's love to others? Does this tradition help me show God's love to others? If it doesn't help me do the work of God, it's probably turned into something toxic in my life rather than nourishing. And I know sometimes I can hide behind traditions in my life to avoid doing the uncomfortable. To avoid helping someone. We see the Pharisees were doing this in in a story that we'll get to where they were avoiding helping their parents actually and honoring their parents because they were spiritual leaders and needed that time. Does this tradition help me show God's love? Jesus said, is it lawful to do good or to kill? Good or to harm? And I think about how do we even come to church on Sundays? Do I come ready to minister? Do I come ready to do good? Just as a challenge, I I would argue that that starts on Saturdays. That we start preparing to meet the Lord and to meet His people and to do His work by even how we approach coming on Sunday. It's part of as we drive here. What is our, our, our intention? What is our thoughts? Calvin said this when, when discussing this, this point. There is little difference between manslaughter and the conduct of him who does not concern himself about relieving a person in distress. So he was talking just how evil it would be to pass by someone in need for the sake of our own traditions. Man, that's convicting. It's convicting because I don't always think of that when I'm tired, when I'm done. How can my heart be what Christ is saying here? 
that says, I'm here to do good. I'm here to love. I'm here to help. Finally, we don't have time to dig into everything, but number 10 there. Beware of the blinding potential of traditions gone astray. Beware of the blinding potential of traditions gone astray. Jesus has confronted the Pharisees twice. And so they repented and they realized that their traditions had gotten in the way of relationship with Christ and serving Him. Is that what verse 6 says? Jesus Himself confronted them. And their response was, the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians. They don't like the Herodians, but they had something in common with them, a common enemy. They immediately held counsel with the Herodians against Him how to destroy Him. By the way, immediately means they went out on the Sabbath to do harm. Just yet another interesting tidbit. But they were blinded by their tradition, by the rules, by the laws. They were blinded to the truth of what Christ was saying. And instead of repenting, they decided, let's kill him. Let's kill him. Praise God our kids don't have that attitude. I hope they repent. But when we get so focused on what we want and what we think and how it should be done in our opinion, we are often blinded and lose track of the spiritual truths. Now again, I very intentionally said the blinding potential of traditions gone astray. Because while Jesus is attacking some specific traditions and application of those traditions with the Pharisees, He is not saying that they are to be thrown out. But rather, He's saying they are to be evaluated. We know that Jesus observed the Passover. We know that Jesus observed many of the things that that were traditions or rules of the time. But He was willing to counter and evaluate and confront those things that had run amok. And so we end three stories by saying, are traditions good or are they bad? Are they nourishing or are they toxic? And the answer is either. Yes. Do we know why we do what we do at church, at home, in our lives? That's what it comes down to. Do you know why spiritually you do what you do? I pray that we evaluate these things. When we think of the Sabbath, ask questions like, am I making it holy? Am I setting it apart for time with God? Am I leaving my my vocational work behind? Am I finding ways to do God's work on the Sabbath? Am I resting for a purpose and avoiding making the Sabbath about me? Those are questions that get to the heart. The heart of obeying that instruction rather than just being pharisaical about obeying that instruction.
Why do you do what you do? How are you going to intentionally pass on your faith to your families? Let's pray. Lord God, our Father, I pray that we would remember that we wouldn't just do things that appear spiritual in hopes of being spiritual, but we would follow your instructions and your word, understanding your intent, because we love you and because we want to do your work and share your love with others. Lord, I pray that you would draw our hearts close to you and we would not be practicers of empty religion, but we would be sons and daughters of the King. Thank you, Lord, in your name. Amen.